0: The classic example would be that a patient who's had their glabella treated goes and tests to see if the is moving and they keep trying as hard as possible until eventually their orbicularis oculi steps in to help them and so they do this and they squint and they develop a little crease and they come back for a treatment. Welcome to the Aesthetics Mastery Show. I'm Dr. Tim Pearce.
1: Hi, I'm Miranda Pearce.
0: And today we're talking about botulinum toxin follow-ups. I just had a follow-up myself and I thought, there's actually quite a lot to this. A lot of ways I think over time you can reduce the number of follow-ups that are, are required. You can improve your understanding of how botulinum toxin works in different phases. You can reduce the cost to your clinic. And you can reduce the, the waste of time sometimes that occurs if people have unnecessary follow-ups. So let's dive in.
1: So first of all, tell us about what treatment you had.
0: Before I start, if you're looking forward to learning something, give us a like and I'll do my best to deliver. Uh, So I just have a little bit of treatment in my forehead and frown because it just softens the lines. I leave about a year between treatments normally. Uh, and I don't mind when I've got movement. I just don't like it when I see the lines becoming ingrained. It makes me feel uncertain, like I'm deteriorating. Mm. So for me, I'm a certainty-driven client, uh, one of those who just likes things to be in order. And then I'll, I'll move on and not think about things for, for ages and still so it starts to fall apart again.
1: And you had a tweak? A yeah, just
0: a little bit of asymmetry, a really common reason to have a follow-up. And I just you know, popped into the advanced Botox course and, uh, and, and uh, Dr. Sharon, did a little tiny drop just to get it right
1: so should we be doing Botox follow ups as a matter of course Uh,
0: so I think there's two different stages of your career I think when you start out and and you're just learning the trade it's actually very helpful to get your patients to come back for a follow up because you're it's like with anything. There's one thing knowing the theory. It's an entirely different thing getting experience. And it's a great way to get experience is to get people back. Have a look at the pictures that you've taken. I recommend marking up and taking a picture of, that, of, the, of your patient because then you can see exactly what each injection actually did. And there is no substitute for that kind of learning because you'll actually see it, the effect with each injection. And then you can, you can learn and adjust with that individual patient. But also you gather this more global wisdom about how things really work in real life.
1: And the second phase?
0: So the second phase is you know what you're doing and you don't want people to come back for no reason uh, because it, it, it costs you a lot of time. There's a sense that maybe you should treat them because they've made the effort to come back. Uh, and there's a lot of unnecessary time and expense if, you, if you're doing unnecessary follow-up. So great for learning. It's probably not good long-term in your business to follow everyone up. Um, but there's a stage where I think it's good.
1: I think it can set a culture as well within your business. Patients come to expect a top up i mean top up's a dangerous word anyway but it's almost like they haven't got their money's worth unless they're coming back in for more
0: yeah, and once again, the way around that is to educate your patients on what the follow-up is for and also to educate them to assess themselves properly. A little bit of self-triage, you know, we do it with complications. You want your patient to know what to look out for. You can do the same with a, with a toxin follow-up. So if this happens, come back for a follow-up. If, this, if it's not that, then wait. You know, the, the classic one we certainly remember in the early days getting caught with is that they, you don't educate them on the time course. So they ring on day five saying, I've got asymmetry, whereas by day nine, it's gone.
1: So when should we start to think and prepare like that for follow-ups?
0: Yeah, so your, your preparation for follow up starts before you do the treatment because... It's that key component of of educating your patient so that they've got the a simple algorithm of, of when to call you and when not to call you and how it will play out. Because uh, the uneducated patient who've ne- never had a treatment before, or the naive patient's a better way of explaining it, it, can cause a lot of case noise trying to gather the certainty that they need. So they're not sure how it plays out. They ring back 24 hours later, saying with questions so that's a sign that your consultation hasn't prepared them fully or maybe the the literature that you share with your treatment so if you've got a good aftercare leaflet that's also informative that will reduce the number of of uninformed or or unnecessary follow-ups
1: so what do you find are the main reasons that patients are coming back for these follow-ups? Uh,
0: so I think there are probably five categories of follow-up. And the first category is the, the ones about efficiency for you. So once you know your trade and you don't need to learn that much more from following up each patient, um, you don't want patients, patients coming back for no reason. So the unneeded follow-up. There are, there are various reasons why patients might come back for a follow-up when they don't actually need one. Um, the most common is, as you've just touched on, you can just be in the routine of it. You some clinics give the impression that that's just the process and I'm not saying it's definitely not the process, but it's if you have a patient who thinks the, the whole thing requires treatment follow-up, treatment follow-up, they'll come back re- regardless for as long as they need to, um, well as long as you treat them. So you might that requires re-education of your patient of how you prefer to do it, which is here are the signs of a completed treatment and if you're happy with that you don't need to waste your time coming back for another treatment. The, the next, common section and it also depends on what people are putting out in their marketing and how they communicate with their patient but this idea that it's part of what you pay for means if you don't come back it means you haven't got everything you've paid for in some people's minds so that's also another re-education that you need to do you need to explain that uh, and I believe this is true as well if you've got zero movement and you treat again you don't necessarily get any increase any benefit you're having an injection with no benefit ultimately
1: what about this one used to always confuse me to be honest is If someone wants a subtle treatment, so they don't want full frozen, so they're having fewer units, will that then not last as long as going in with the full wham?
0: Yes, I'm pretty sure that the evidence supports that a a semi-treated muscle that still has movement is going to rebound much quicker. And this is one of the reasons I'm, you know, a, a lot of people do that because they're afraid of looking over-treated. And overtreatment is usually a lot more complex than than just your frown line not not moving. So people... Um, are unnecessarily worrying they request something that feels much safer but then they they actually quite like it when it's not moving and then you need to retreat them again and it's one of the reasons why we never uh, offered a price differential because if they get the idea in their mind that you're you you're using less product therefore um it should be cheaper whereas actually for you it's the it's it's twice the amount of time and they end up having a follow-up sometimes which means you use similar amount of toxin and and it's basically not a great thing for your clinic um, de- depending on the patient and how they understand it. But if they're more than happy with with a basically full movement back, but a fading of their lines at, at two months, then that's okay. But if they're expecting it to stay for four months and you've only done a quarter of the dose, well, that's obviously not going to work.
1: Any other reasons why people are having these follow-ups in the first place?
0: So some patients will do a special routine to see if their toxin has worked properly. I think most people test it, especially if you're new to it. It can be a big event, you know, that you've had a treatment. You go home and study your face. And quite often they will pick up things that are either normal or they they test and test until they finally manage to recruit an additional muscle to create the same movement and they they get their frown lines back. The the classic example would be that a patient who's had their glabella treated goes and tests to see if the glabella is moving and they keep trying as hard as possible until eventually their orbicularis oculi steps in to help them and so they do this. And they squint and they develop a little crease and they come back for a treatment. And you just need to inform them that basically you've, you, what's happened is you're recruiting additional muscles to try and get a tiny bit of movement. And actually, you don't need to do that. If you do a normal frown, there's no crease there. That's a completed treatment. Otherwise, you would just end up in, injecting the, the glabella when it's not even the glabella that's causing that crease and they're, they're using these additional muscles. So they just need edu- informing, and patients don't mind that. Probably the trickiest one for new injectors will be the, the mismatch in expectations. So um, classic one is a relatively deep line that's fading and at two weeks they come back and say, it's not gone yet, I need a top up. And you need, just need to make sure that they understand that the, the effect on the muscle peaks maybe at about two weeks, but the effect on your skin is continuous as long as that muscle's not reawakening the wrinkle, I would often say. So if you have no movement, the line is fading. If the lines are deeper, it does take longer than two weeks. In fact, it might take two or three years in someone with a very deep line for you to really get the most out of what a continuously still area will do for recuperation of the skin. So um, they just need to understand the difference between muscle relaxation and the wrinkle actually fading. They're two different things, really.
1: So what's the next category of follow-up?
0: So next common one might be just simply underwhelming results, and uh, I don't mean those kind of the muscles had its full effect, but the skin hasn't faded like we just mentioned, but more that there's still lots of movement. <laughs> and lots of movement, so you need more treatment because it hasn't seemed to work. And obviously there are, there are many different reasons that can happen. Um, some patients just require more. Th- I think there's, a, there's certainly a cohort of very cautious injectors who put a little bit less in to make sure that they're safe, um, and they have, will have a high rate of follow-ups. And then there are also those who maybe have priced themselves in a slightly uncomfortable position and they're trying to eke out as much as possible, uh, and that you, you pay with the follow-up rate if you do that. Some patients just don't respond as easily as as well. So you get pe- people who just need a bit more. Some people have bigger muscles than average. Um, sometimes it's to do with aftercare. So potentially if you got very hot right after the procedure, maybe you've washed some of that toxin out of the, out of the intracellular space uh, instead of it allowing to settle on those nerves and actually do the job it's meant to do. It just gets washed into the systemic circulation. So, so those are the, the broad categories.
1: And what about people who don't respond? Would you try and give them a different toxin brand
0: yeah if you have an, a non-responder um, you can just try topping them up first that's normally what you do keep it simple and, and quite often they just need a bit more um, the next the next thing to try would be to try something different and you're, you're basically implying is there's some sort of immune um, part of this resistance so they've got an antibody to some part of the toxin and therefore it's not working that's actually very rare though um, but it does happen I I've heard it certainly put out there by the, by the reps that it's so rare that you needn't really worry about it. But I've absolutely had patients who just do not respond at all.
1: To one brand?
0: Actually, to all of them. And, mm-hmm. and it's very upsetting for them. I mean, I remember a couple of times going through this process of telling someone, look, there's nothing that I can do with this anymore. We've now tried all three doses. In fact, I even tried a type B toxin as well. And that none of them seem to give a, a significant response. So I can't keep trying. And they get very upset because you've closed off one of the avenues for them to maintain themselves
1: but do you find that if someone's not getting longevity out of one toxin brand and you try them on another after 12 weeks does that work or is, are we all just kind of lying to ourselves and really they're just non-responders
0: uh, I think it it tends to work you there's it feels like about 70% of the time you get a better result by switching if you've already tried a couple of times with underwhelming results so I think it's worth trying
1: what's the next reason people tend to come back
0: uh, so the reason that I came back, which is slight asymmetry. So asymmetry is probably the most common reason, and uh, it's caused by many different things. I think uh, a lot of people fear that it's it's inject it's the injector. So you, I saw in fact I saw one just this morning uh, that was like, oh, I, I it's fine, I found somewhere cheaper, and they had a picture of a very asymmetrical face. And asymmetry happens to all injectors because there are some variables you can't control. And um, so it's, it's, and I mean slight asymmetry, you know, I'm not talking completely one side frozen and the other side not, um, because it's, it, there's too much, there's too much normal uncertainty in terms of the the variables that we can control and the ones we can't.
1: So what is going on that's causing this asymmetry?
0: Well, sometimes it is that you've just injected asymmetrically, and that can be as little as, you know, a centimetre or half a centimetre. And that's particularly important when you're dealing with the the eyebrows. If you picture particularly the shape of a feminine eyebrow with an arch, you want some movement there. If, if you're half a centimeter closer on one side than the other, that affects quite a lot of the muscle, the remaining untreated muscle on one side versus the other. So you can knock out effectively about 30% of the muscle that you're doing the lift with, which isn't noticeable at rest. When they raise the eyebrows, you may just get a slightly different shape to the eyebrow. So if you're going to really get tied up in the detail of neatness and injecting neatly, do it above the eyebrows. In the middle part of your forehead, it's less significant, and labella is less significant, orbicularis oculi is less significant, but eyebrows, and the frontalis is where you where you pick up very subtle asymmetry.
1: And what can we, what should we, how should we proceed when people come back with asymmetry?
0: So usually it's just a little tweak. You just put a tiny drop in, and and it will fix itself. Um, but it's not always injection technique as well. I've, I'm pretty sure that if you get a bleed, so if you inject. And then you get a little bit of blood that comes out that you wash out some of that toxin. And I've also had it a couple of times I've I've known for sure that it's gone intravascularly, which isn't dangerous. But if you get a little vein, as you inject a little bit, it just washes straight through and you don't get the little bleb. And that means it's not in the system, but you're not necessarily confident enough to then re-inject the same area. So sometimes that's best left to the follow up.
1: So you've alluded to marking up perfectly. Would you ever mark up someone deliberately asymmetrically because they are asymmetrical?
0: Yeah, that's probably one of the harder ones to deal with, but some people are very asymmetrical. Um, In foreheads in particular, sometimes you have areas where uh, you get muscle that's adhered, it doesn't move very much, um, particularly after an injury, something like that, you might get that. So there there are little things that cause asymmetry which might completely change your treatment. So sometimes asymmetry is caused by the patient's existing asymmetry. Sometimes you can exaggerate that asymmetry even if you do a normal symmetrical result. So the before... Picture is very important so that your patient has a reference point and they realize that this is their asymmetry and you're doing your best with an asymmetrical starting point. Sometimes, also, you may get an asymmetrical dose, and that, that can be for kind of an unexpected reasons, like a bubble in your syringe can do this. Mm-hmm. So, we talked about this, I think, last week that if you have a little bit of a bubble in your syringe and maybe you've, you've injected one side with one syringe, you've got a new syringe, you don't spot the bubble that little pressure reservoir that bo- that builds up as you're injecting when you remove it, it means you you sometimes, I've estimated maybe 30% less on one side than the other. So if you do one side with a little bubble and the other side without, you might end up putting in 30% less because so much of it is sprinkled on the surface of the skin as you come out. So um, that kind of thing might be increasing some of the follow-ups as well.
1: And it's hard to control, isn't it? You can't you can't say, "Oh, I've lost thirty percent. I better put more in." You just got to wait and see. Yeah,
0: you don't know. It's a it's a rough idea what's what's missing.
1: We've talked about a little bit of normal asymmetry, but how would you deal at follow up with straight down the line brow drop, for example?
0: So they they say that the 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 expected number of brow drops is about one in a hundred, and uh, I think with practice you should be able to get it much less than that. I don't think we were seeing one in hundred, but those are the this is the cri- this category of of unwanted results or bad results or complications you might call them um, that remembering with Botulinum toxin that most of what we think of as complications are really just unwanted side effects. You know, they're, they're self-limiting. It's not the same as a vascular occlusion, for example, um, most of them. So this is really the, the brow drops, eyelid is maybe a, a cheek zygomatic is major if that gets affected by toxin. I think smile asymmetry can be very upsetting for people. So I, I kind of think of that more as a complication um, because you can't smile, you know, without everyone going, what's wrong, have you had a stroke? You know, very upsetting. Um, any Anything that affects the lower face tends to be a bit worse than the upper face, I think. So these complications and side effects are really where where you want to devote a lot of your attention to understanding exactly what's causing them, what's the pattern of injection that generates a particular side effect so that you can get better and better and, and, and they should hopefully occur less and less as you learn from every procedure that you do. And you do learn a lot from those cases that get a brow drop because um, what I noticed with myself as I as I came up getting experience but also other people is you tend to feel safe with a particular pattern of injecting and then you replicate it and then you meet someone with an unusual shaped face and you do the same safe injection pattern but it doesn't work on that type of face and then you learn something you never forget. Um, One of the the simple ones is worth knowing is if you ever see someone with with hooded eyelids and basically if the skin is running in an almost continuous plane all the way down the forehead into the eyelids a tiny drop in the brow causes heaviness on their eyelids it's very upsetting and they notice every millimeter of it whereas if naturally you have a good divide uh, between your forehead and your eyelids that that's a protective factor so when you see those patients you naturally become much more cautious uh, and make sure that you don't cause that brow heaviness
1: how about the old Spock brow what can we do about that at follow-up
0: so um, Spock brow the first thing is to learn from the mistake so Spock brow is caused by over-treating the frontalis, which sometimes happens when you're trying to treat the, gl- the the glabella. Sometimes it's the actual frontalis muscle that you're treating, but I've certainly come across a few injectors who try and be safe by staying a little bit further away from the eyes when they're injecting the glabella. And what that means is you hit the frontalis right in the middle, and you get a brow heaviness in the middle. But often it's just treating the frontalis muscle as well. But then under-treating laterally, so you get a brow lift laterally and a brow drop medially, and it's that seesawing that causes the lateral brow to come up and the medial brow to drop. So um, the first thing is learn how it's caused so that you cause less of them. And the, the second one is what what can you do to improve it? Now, you can often, often soften the lateral brow lift, so you can put a little bit over the the lateral most lateral part of the eyebrow, tail, and that will drop it slightly. But obviously, you don't want to give them a total brow drop, uh, and there is a risk of that because often these patients are the ones who... Um, Basically, it tends to happen more often in older people where there's less dampening by the fat and the skin, which young people have. So the, the, the imperfections of your injection technique are more likely to be exaggerated, but the same applies to a drop. So it could it's a bit more likely you'll get a drop in these patients laterally as well. So be cautious, small adjustments, give it time. And you also want to see what you can do to lift the medial aspect lifting the medial aspect of the brow is difficult because uh, there really isn't a lot of a lot of brow depressors to work with. You've got a little bit of downward depression caused by the glabella complex, so your procerus muscle, make sure that's fully treated. If you've got a downwardly angled um corrugator supercilii, make sure that's fully treated. And then the last muscle is orbicularis oculi which does pull the eyebrows down medially. It's not particularly strong, but you can treat it by injecting superficially often within the eyebrow and that will just give a little bit of relaxation and maybe add a millimeter or two. Um, but what I, the main thing is to get, make sure your patient knows this is temporary, it's gonna get better, it'll lift and you can learn from it next time and do a better procedure as you learn from each individual patient's face which is probably my, one of my top tips for follow-ups, is that every patient that you treat should know that every face is unique and we're learning each time you treat someone. So as long as you're learning, the side effects should get fewer and fewer and they should get have fewer and fewer follow-ups uh, and it should be easier to get the result that they really want.
1: Any other subtle follow-ups, particularly the lower half face?
0: Yeah, I think the lower half is trickier um, and it's uh, probably the most common is when you treat a gummy smile is the patient doesn't like the dynamic result so and this is one of the 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 issues with gummy smile in general which is you get great before and after pictures but as the patient is smiling um they look different to their friends and family because it's not their normal expressive face they can look great in a picture but it it Sometimes it's described as a sarcastic smile or not a genuine smile. Um, and that's, that's one of the, the rarer reasons why people have follow-ups, is that they, there's something about the movement of their face that they miss uh, or that is different, and then they wish you could fix that. Now, unfortunately, with most of the toxin treatments, if it's as simple as that, you might be able to do less next time, but you're probably going to not be able to treat it with more toxin this time. So you just have to give it some time. So I hope you found that useful. Make sure you download our free guide to common Botox injection patterns in the description. Uh, Make sure you like and subscribe and we'll see you next week. Take care. Bye.